0: In this episode, Ryan and I discuss the fees and the cost associated with the infinite banking concept and becoming your own banker. We had fun, hope you enjoy it, and thanks for listening. Welcome to the Banking with Life podcast. I'm your host, James Nethery.
1: And I'm your co-host, Ryan Griggs.
0: And as usual, we're having fun. This is literally unscripted, right? (laughs) It's like, what do you want to talk about? What do you want to talk about? And uh,
1: we come up with something good, though, each time, I think
0: i have fun i mean and i and actually i enjoy listening to our podcast oh i was
1: gonna say i thought you enjoyed listening to me oh i do um, i do i i yeah me too
0: yeah, yeah i enjoy it. and everybody else enjoys listening to you as well <laughs> thanks lay it you on need some, you need some Go reassurance <laughs> <laughs> no. No, literally we're having fun we're going to talk about some um things that we just decided upon yeah. right before the camera came on um and i hope you enjoy so why shouldn't you do IBC? What are the costs? What are the
1: fees involved? As some, as a recent prospect put it to me, he's like, "Well, you know, I do my best to minimize fees, to minimize costs. I change banks when they charge me too much on the checking account. Change brokers. He's sure. a discount broker and all these
0: using zero percent credit cards if he has any. Yeah, yeah. In the industry, Fee you know. conscious. Yeah, yeah. Right? which is good. Uh, you know, Absolutely. we should
1: all be cost conscious. So what are the costs involved? You know, what's First of all, I've read Becoming Your Own Banker. This sounds too good to be true, so there's got to be a catch. The catch is probably in the costs. And
0: right. So, so then, what are the then, costs? Then I go on YouTube and or social media, Google, whatever, and I find, you know, just do a little searching, infinite banking concept, you know, wherever you start. And then it, if you keep searching, it winds up to Birmingham, Alabama, the Nelson Nash Institute, mm-hmm. infinitebanking.org, because uh, he created the concept, Right. Um but along that journey, you've got to sift through a bunch of stuff mm-hmm. and a bunch of smoking mirrors, you know rainbows, pixie dust, yeah unicorns all right to get to the truth and so and and I'm saying that to say to bring out the point that. You Know when you go through all, all of these exa- uh, quite often, when you go through a bunch of examples of running money through life insurance policies, putting it on a spreadsheet, getting out of debt, or whatever it is, getting a HELOC, go buying some turnkey real estate, um, it's very easy for the costs to be uh, jump smooth over. Ah, uh, you know, and it's like, oh, don't focus on that, don't look over here, yeah, yeah, don't look over here because look at how great this is, and mm-hmm. it is very good. Um, but then, too. Let me say, you, your opening question was, was uh, why should I do the infinite banking well, concept? Who shouldn't? Who shouldn't practice the infinite banking mm-hmm. concept? And beyond the fee conscience, I think it's people without any discipline. Uh-huh. If you have no discipline, I mean, what, right. so that's one what of are you the gonna costs. be successful at anyway?
1: Yeah, so that's one of the costs, right? You've gotta have the discipline to build capital. You have gotta beat Parkinson's law. Right? Every day. be able to make
0: more than you spend. Keep it around for a little while. Isn't that fundamentally mm-hmm. true? No matter what you do, you have to spend less than you make. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. I didn't want to. So the discipline to save
1: is, what you, is the first cost, and there's going to be some a, a loss in your ability to consume, if we put it technically. But. Or deferral
0: of your yeah. consumption. Mm-hmm. Well. And you also have to invest a little bit of your time in reading and educating yourself.
1: Absolutely. So some more cost in the form of your time. The time spent online, the time spent listening to this podcast, the time spent reading Nelson's book, the time spent sifting through those uh, less desirable resources online, perhaps. You're so professional. (laughs) (laughs) I I appreciate that. Yeah, try to be you know dignified about it but um yes so you've got to invest a lot of your personal time and energy times your greatest asset can't make any of it back um i think those really are a lot of the material upfront costs that people uh
0: can jump quickly over and those particular costs aren't uh readily quantifiable yeah you know so with the fee conscious person or the commissions you know because that's a that's a bad word right don't want the agent or the professional to get paid or overpaid right when you get you know right down to the numbers and what are you actually paying for you know what items are you paying for what is the cost you know numerically financially the money um we're gonna we're gonna cover some of those in in detail but let me say that I don't care what you do for a living. you're earning an income. if it's ten ninety nine income, interest income, you know w two income, bonuses, commissions, um, we're all enumerated in some way mm-hmm. and and I understand that nobody wants to overpay for anything, right. But in this industry, in the financial world, it really gets down to from the client's perspective most of the time, what are you getting paid in commissions and what do I have to pay in fees? Whether yeah. investment management fees, trading costs. Mm-hmm. Um, and two, we say it, I say it all the time, the consumer pays for everything. Mm-hmm. But make no mistake about it, we all know that. Yeah. right the consumer you me us we pay for everything
1: so okay. so there's really two levels there there's the so we kind of covered the non-financial non-numerical things right you got to have discipline got to be willing to save beat parkinson's law it's mm-hmm. like yeah okay well you know get into the the numbers show me the numbers
0: right everybody wants to see the numbers let me see the illustration
1: right. so on the one on one level there's costs built into the the structure of dividend paying whole life
0: you mean life right. insurance cost
1: yes what so the cost of doing business the overhead the mortality expense the, all of that's built into the product itself but then, i hate
0: life insurance i don't want them <laughs> to be profitable <laughs> and i want to pay them anything <laughs> on another
1: on another level there's how the agent gets paid right and sometimes that sometimes those two things can overlap right the the what the agent is paid can be involved in is accounted for in the cost structure that's bound up in the premium and dividend paying whole life and then there's other scenarios where an agent can get paid uh in a what they call fee only where they're going to charge the client something Oh, now we're in the investment
0: world a fee only advisor is that
1: one? Well, if there's so there's fee only, and then there's fee based, and then commissions only. So right. fee only, they're charging you either a percentage of assets or some, some
0: As, assets under management. Assets
1: under management, or a dollar amount for your for their time, might right? Be hourly fee. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's fee only. Then fee based is a combination of fee only and commissions. So mm-hmm. they're getting something from the company that provides the product and they're Maybe they're doing assets under management or charging for time.
0: So if I go down to the to the local investment house, right, and, and I pay them a fee, you know, whatever there's a you know, with mutual funds, there's front end load, low load, you know, A, B, C mm-hmm. shares, right? And you get paid at the beginning, or you get paid at the exit, or you pay a higher management fee over the whole time period of owning that account. And and I'm bringing this up because it's true that um, within that financial office and i 'm not p- picking on a particular company, but you know let's say i i, <coughs> I it, it, they're typically presented as you know financial planners or investment office you go in there and they're typically sell mutual funds they may sell some stocks too um but then there's always that variable annuity or these annuities that they offer, and typically you find within an office or within a practice they only write one or two companies Mm -hmm. and so they're they're shelved products right they might be even white labeled and the an insurance company's underwriting or really is and they might white label that product um my point is this that why are there only two or three companies on their shelf? You know, if there's 20,000 commercial annuities, and my example of annuities, if there are 20,000 commercial annuities available on the open market, why does the investment advisor um, typically only have one, two, or three companies, and one, two, or three products in there? You know, they're commission-based products, right? Insurance products are commission-based products. Um, investment products are typically fee-based products so my my question is this why are there only one or two or three a limited amount of choices all right and and so the advisor may be getting a commission on that but something else is going on that you don't readily see somebody else is getting paid to have those products on the shelf hmm. you know so there's sometimes hidden fees that you don't see that's mm-hmm. my only point
1: okay in the fee-based world where they're doing both insurance and some investment options. Yeah, that, yeah. All right, so then then there's us, where we're just commission-based. So there is no fee for time for the uh, dividend-paying-whole-life, IBC-style sort of business. Mm-hmm. Uh, <coughs> so two different levels there, right? The the costs involved in the product itself, and then how the agent's getting compensated, and there may be some overlap there. Uh, so things to be aware of that people typically Um, You know, if they didn't know about it and they see it, the the eyes perk up and they get real suspicious, start side-eyeing you, right? So different things that you'll see throughout an educational process when you're going to become your own banker. Mm -hmm. Okay, so there's going to be what's called a PUA expense charge. Paid up
0: addition rider.
1: Yeah. Every time you make that PUA premium, there's an expense charge, particular Mm -hmm. percentage, uh, calculated based on what you, the amount you're paying there, right, at that time. you're going to see interest on policy loans, right? Oh my gosh, I've got to pay interest. This is something we've talked about before, right? Paying money to the insurance company to receive a policy loan, right? This is money that's not going to build cash values, dividends, or death benefits. It is interest. Um, of course, you have very uh, cost-effective, efficient repayment with policy loans relative to other instruments and other subjects we've talked about in the past, but there is an interest cost to getting policy loans and then uh you often t- sometimes there's a a, a term rider that will go on these policies that's going to have a premium right so we've got a pua expense charge there's a premium for the term uh, that could be on the policy
0: any other riders that you typically put on policies mm-hmm. generally they all have a cost most are you know upfront. Mm-hmm. some are like and specifically, I'm talking about the um, extended care type riders, the accelerated death benefit riders, waiver of premium. Well, waiver of premium has an upfront cost. If you have waiver of premium, you're going to pay that cost, right, mm-hmm. for that rider. And and there are other riders that maybe specify disease, you know, heart attack, cancer, stroke, or you know, long term care type. And some of those riders have upfront premium cost Mm -hmm. and then some have the cost is at the time of use Mm -hmm. but there's still a cost associated to it Mm -hmm. right Um, until you can have other insured riders guaranteed insurance purchase options so most all of the riders any of the riders most all of the riders that you can put on a whole life policy have a cost most all of them are well they all have a cost but most of the Riders have upfront costs.
1: Yeah, and I found too, and when I've, whenever I've had the unfortunate experience of looking at other agents' illustrations, why would you see, do that? What? Because it is unfortunate. Oh, you mean why would I look at it in the first <laughs> <Yeah>. place? <laughs> no, it's a fair question. Uh, I get. I. It is a fair question, and you know, are you learning what to I'm, do or what I, uh, not to do? I am learning. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. You're going
0: to learn one of the two. <laughs> uh, but in these. I mean, did somebody, no, seriously, don't jump over that question. Did somebody (laughs) force you to look at, because quite often, you know you i get
1: i feel twisted into it you know it's i certainly don't i don't want anything to do with other Here, Ryan, i've got this illustration
0: from 15 (laughs) other agents can you can you run that or tell me what you know is it like a drive-by second opinion oh there it is i mean i've talked to everybody in the country but you james can i spend 20 minutes with you to make my decision Mm. no no you can't you can spend 100 hours on youtube and watch all the the videos plenty of material that's out there right and if you can't watch those videos and decide that i'm either a good guy or bad guy so (laughs) you can either you know either we can relate and work together we can't yeah um you know 20 minute phone calls not going to do it that's (laughs) my only so you felt a little, your arm got twisted into what? Right, so on my of... off days when I when I don't do Wait, well. You mean you don't work all the time? <laughs> you take time off? I'm
1: saying then on the days where I make the mistake of indulging right. the <laughs> individual Okay then, desired... it's a mistake. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, so, so on my mistaken days, <laughs> thank you for helping me articulate that, on those days I look at these policies built for infinite banking, right, mm-hmm. and they've got all these other riders on there and it's like what's that for what's that and you ask them and ask the prospect well, or the what, client like, I,
0: the agent put them on there right okay I, I don't know what was well intro,
1: no that's about as good as it. that's about as good as it gets
0: okay well let me also say too when it comes to the paid up edition driver mm-hmm. um, and, and I this to me matters um, when you look at a construct of an infinite banking policy. Let's just go back to the originator, the author, Nelson Nash, in his book, Becoming Your Own Banker. You know, he typically, uh, every time, not typically, every time, you don't see a term illustration in there he did not use term writers on his policies. Mm-hmm. There was a base whole life premium, and there was a PUA premium. And then it seems like lately the more people that get exposed to the infinite banking concept, and at the end of the day, you know, I think, um, and I've said it many times, every worker is worthy of his hire, but agents that want to practice the infinite banking concept um, and, and promote it right and then hold themselves out as experts mm-hmm. um and you know my god anybody with a with an iphone and a mama's basement can create videos right mm-hmm. and no disparagement i mean some of these kids have 20 million followers <laughs> these influences i mean <laughs> my hat's off to them god bless them i'm not talking about them right.
1: <laughs> we're talking about the
0: less successful ones <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um, so they, and, I, and I've said this, and we've talked about this several times. I, I mean, I presented at the Nelson Nash Institute about three years ago on mm-hmm. the structure of a policy, mm-hmm. which I think is very important. And, and my point is this you get to the PUA, Nelson, in his book, Becoming your own banker, you know he did not use term riders, and he basically had about a sixty forty percent split in premium. I'm paying a hundred thousand dollars in premium. About forty thousand dollars went to the base, sixty thousand dollars went to the PUA, and and I get it. Those illustrations were were created in two thousand, revised in two thousand and ten, specifically speaking about equipment finance. The sixth illustration was created in two thousand and ten. Okay, so the over the last. I don't know several months last year 18 months something like that. And it seems like there's so much of a focus on what's the correct percentage mm. split between the base premium and the PUA premium. Yeah. Like that's the at the end of the day that's the most important thing to be determined when it comes to putting your money into properly structured dividend paying whole life policies. Yeah. And and so if I continue, if you look at the PUA, the PUA, which you had mentioned, has a charge. It has a fee. It has an expense charge. And they vary across the country with companies. Mm-hmm. Anywhere from 0% to 14%, mm-hmm. 14 cents out of every dollar you pay into the PUA mm-hmm. with one particular company is going to the privilege of putting money into the paid-up driver. Right. All right. So, when it, when it comes to construct, you know, there's a base whole life and a PUA. That's what Nelson uh, did. And now we go forward today, interest rates have come down, dividends have come down. And a, a lot of questions are, do you use term riders on your PUA? Yes, we do. In every case, no. But we use a lot of them. Why? We raise the death benefit with the term rider to avoid the met, mm-hmm. So, you can have a higher premium amount going into the PUA. All right, now the life insurance companies um, have come out, and, and they've been out for a while. with, um, And so, if I back up, mm-hmm. there's a base premium, and a PUA is what Nelson did. And a lot of agents have put term riders on there in addition. So, there's three primary parts to the premium, okay? Um, but they're standalone. That term rider is a standalone term rider. And, it, it of course, it has a cost and it can be convertible. And so you're going to pay a higher premium for convertible term than just going out into the open market and buying a cheaper term policy. But when term riders are used in the infinite banking concept, they're typically structurally important to that policy. So you're probably not going to convert it Mm -hmm. later. Okay. Then the companies have come out with a blended PUA. Mm -hmm. So the PUA rider to take the money without mecking internally has term so the term and the pua are blended blended pua all right yep okay now you tell me what happens to the cost of term over time goes up goes up every time i have a birthday it costs i'm getting one step closer to mortality Mm -hmm. right so the cost of that pua if I use mm. it, is going to continue to go up. Mm-hmm. Now, let's mm-hmm. think about this, and, and I might be going off too far on this with this particular podcast, but I hope the listener appreciates. Us here? <laughs> <right>? <laughs> no. Now, let's just, just think this through. I'm 56, right? I have a blended PUA, and no, I don't personally. In my example, let's say I did. I want to pay a high percentage of the premium into the PUA, And so, I'm going to use a blended PUA rider. And now, I've got a substantial amount of premium into the policy, therefore, a substantial face amount and cash value. And the cash value, I'm going to supplement my income in the future, and I want to do that through loans, because loans are Mm tax-free. Yes, I can make withdrawals from the PUA, Mm -hmm. right? Okay. And it's really, it's my choice. I'm in, quote-unquote, passive income time. Yep. Retirement. All right. I'm taking income to supplement my income or do whatever it is I want to do. Mm -hmm. Give it away, buy turnkey real estate. Mm -hmm. All right. Whatever it is. The loan is I'm borrowing against that cash value. Right. All right. And so I'm either going to pay the loan back or I'm not. Mm -hmm. If I don't, that loan's going to compound. All right. Now I'm in passive income. I'm taking passive income through collateral- by collateralizing my cash value. Does that sound like a loan I want to pay back out of my cash flows? Not necessarily. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. Because I know the death benefit collateralizes the outstanding loan. Right. All right. So I can only borrow against my cash value. Mm-hmm. And if I borrow money every year from the life insurance company collateralizing my cash value, I'm going to have a compounding loan. Right. And the loan cannot out-compound the cash value. And the cash value uh, or the outstanding loan cannot out-compound the death benefit. Right. Okay. So I'm taking income through loans that I'm going to let the death benefit pay back. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't have to do that, but that is one thing that you can do. And now, if I've got a blended PUA, all right, I mean, how much of that premium can I reduce? I'm just, it's a fair question. If I have a blended mm. PUA, there's a term rider in there, and I reduce the death benefit, right? I can only reduce the death benefit so far, or the loan's gonna out the death benefit, and then I'm gonna have a MEC, mm. a Modified Endowment Contract. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm just saying, the PUA does have a charge, zero to 14% of every premium dollar you pay into the paid-up addition rider across north america all right Mm -hmm. um then we have a blended pua that has a built-in term the term has a cost you're paying for it either through dividends or pua surrenders or however the company constructed that Mm -hmm. and i need a high death benefit so we can collateralize a high outstanding compounding loan that's being borrowed against the high cash value i'm just saying think that through there could be a potential problem in the future yeah i that think anytime P-A.
1: anytime these companies try to package things or and you try to mess with the fundamental features, right? So maybe we're blending a PUA and we're blending term, or maybe we're exposing the cash value slash account to whatever indexing. Oh wait, market, how, good, right? I get
0: a choice now. Yeah, that's that's the latest thing. Yeah. Is like, can I can I have a dividend indexing index? the dividend? Yeah. yeah.
1: So there's all sorts of attempts by the f- companies to play these games with the features and just to make something seem more complicated, because complicated means sophisticated. And, and they and want
0: to compete in the marketplace. But you think about that, this whole idea of becoming your own banker did not come from the life insurance industry. All it right. did not come from Wall Street. It did not come from top-down thinking. It came from bottom-up thinking. Mm-hmm. And all of most all of these riders are insurance constructs. Yeah, the insurance yeah. companies that oh you know you, you're probably gonna die you're more likely to get disabled than you are to die so you probably need waiver premium
1: yeah right, right. I, I really like what you say about the ones that try to play health insurance yeah. it's like here we've got life insurance companies selling life insurance trying to pretend to be health insurance companies right so we've got these uh, attempts at something like a long-term care writer this advanced death benefit Piece or accelerated death benefit, uh, where you can advance a portion of the funds if you diagnosed with a particular medical condition, and then there's others that are even titled like long term care riders or disability riders or disability waivers or these kinds
0: of things. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about that. All
1: adding extra cost. (laughs) No
0: question. Let's talk about that for a minute. The uh, and now I'm just I'm just sharing with my friend Ryan and all my friends out there that I've yet (laughs) to meet most of you and I'm looking forward to that. Um, If we look at that, the, uh, okay, so the life insurance company across the board, they are the ones that are providing the guarantees that are provided in an insurance contract. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: All right, so they're providing the guarantees and the guarantees are backed up by their claims paying ability but then states are regulated, or life insurance companies are regulated by the states, through the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And then there has to be conformity with federal minimums, right? Because the federal government can manage everything correctly, right? <laughs> um, okay. Um, Penn, Penn Treaty was one of the originators of long-term care insurance. So you know in the the what came to be the typical structure of long-term care i'm just buying um, a certain amount of you know monthly income or coverage if i'm
1: a per diem usually if you get some sort of
0: yeah it it could be per diem yeah yeah um but it you know if i if i have to go to a a care facility, intermediate care, long-term care facility, and there's different levels, right? So the policy, the long-term care policies would pay a specified amount, Mm -hmm. right? And you may have an inflation rider on there, and you may not. But they're the ones that, one of the early originators of long-term care, which today in 2019, most companies have withdrawn from that market, Mm -hmm. right? And there are several reasons. Um, They mispriced healthcare, They uh, miscalculated the life expectancy, and then they miscalculated the lapse ratio. Mm -hmm. Um, So when people typically purchased long-term care insurance, they kept it, all right? Okay, so go figure the bean counters at the life insurance companies miscalculated all the pricing to properly price this product. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the life insurance companies are making the guarantees that they provide in the policies backed up by their claims-paying ability, and then they also participate in the state guarantee associations, right? So there's a second, you know, secondary guarantee, right? Which, if we get into that, the all the states are broke. You know, we live in Texas. They don't have any money, but they have oil and, you know, and gas, and they have the ability to uh, redistribute wealth, right? Through, taxation okay um so even if uh, all right look a life insurance company cannot go bankrupt all right um they're regulated by the states the states can come into the life insurance company i've seen this over my 28 year career and it's only happened to a plus rated companies in my experience Mm. it's happened to others but i'm i had direct experience with a plus rated companies The state shows up and says, look, you don't have enough reserves on hand today to meet your future obligations in 25, 30 years. So we're going to give you about 90 days to raise some capital. Mm -hmm. Right. So either the company raises capital to have adequate reserves for future obligations or they don't. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, then the state will come in and they'll either step in and manage the company. It's called rehabilitation. They'll rehabilitate the company to strength um or they'll liquidate the company so this is happening through the guarantee association right the secondary guarantees the states are coming in and they're either going to rehabilitate the company or they're going to liquidate the company when they liquidate the company every other legal reserve life insurance company doing business in that state has to step in and fulfill those guarantees doesn't exist anywhere on the face of the planet where a competitor must stand good for the Mm -hmm. their competitor if their competitor goes Mm -hmm. You know, South Financially. Okay, now I'm saying all that to say this. Penn Treaty, right? They've been in trouble a long time. And you can you can Google it. There's tons of stuff out there on Penn Treaty. They mispriced everything when it came to long-term care. For a company to raise rates, they have to have approval from the state that they're domiciled in. And in every other state, too. But it starts with the state that they're domiciled in. So Penn Treaty gets in trouble, their claims ratios are going through the roof, they're losing money, they go to the states and, and they ask for the ability to increase their premium and the state limits how much they can increase their premium and so Penn Treaty just got worse and worse and worse financially to the point that they went into receivership and then they went into liquidation. <clears throat> okay, now I said all of that, I know a lot. It wasn't even on the list of things that we might talk about today. Um, Now all the other legal reserve life insurance companies have to pony up money through the Guarantee Association Mm -hmm. because Penn Treaty was liquidated. All right. This is my observation over the last couple of years. All of these life insurance companies that have these long-term care, extended care riders are taking the Can't name. drop them fast enough. <laughs> or at least change their name because the Guarantee Association and all of the health insurance companies that are participating in that to bail out companies like Penn Treaty are saying, hey, that life insurance company over there has a long-term care rider. So they're in the long-term care business, so they need to pony up money mm-hmm. for Penn Treaty.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's really – I think it's a very good insight. That's
0: Okay, so we'll probably yeah. leave this in the podcast. My, <laughs> make it in there by the skin <laughs> of your teeth. <laughs> no,
1: it is a good point. And, and so those costly healthcare, long-term care style riders uh, may or may not be on – an IBC style illustration. Whoa. And typically, I think our point here is that if it's built the right if the policy's built the right way and the premium gets paid the way it ought to be paid, then the policy is going to be naturally robust to a lot of these contingency who yes. knows what could happen. All of these things that could happen are just possible uses for capital anyway. That's right. So if you've built capital the optimal way in IBC style whole life, well, then you've already prepared for that problem, so why take on the extra cost from the get-go in the first place?
0: In, in some cases, it may be applicable to put that on there and to use that. Sure, right, maybe. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. <laughs> He's not minding. Right? <laughs> I was like, yeah, well, I'm just saying that— It uh, is theoretically it, possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is theoretically possible. <laughs> it's actuarially correct. Right, so I, I'm j- I use every rider that I can possibly use that makes sense, and sometimes— the additional accelerated death benefit, whatever they're called, ECB extended care benefit, long term care riders. Um, depending on the rider and the situation, I will use those in a heartbeat. Yeah. I mean, have you? Do you know what it costs to, to go into a nursing home here in North Texas? Um, you know, look, you a you're, lot. You're not getting in one for under three thousand dollars on Medicaid. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, if you're self-paying. Yourself, well, I don't care if you're paying cash, your family's paying, or helping, or you're using all your assets, or you have long-term care insurance, a combination of however you're paying for it, um, it'll quickly get to seven and $8,000 a month. Oh, yeah. And then if you have memory care, oh, there's another 1000 mm-hmm. or fifteen. Oh, and then if you're in memory care and you fall and break a hip, I mean... I, I've seen it. There's no wonder the long-term care costs are out of control. <clears throat> $9,000, $9, $10,000 a month, and that's not the highest in the nation. Anyway, right. so, I mean, it's a it's a, legitimate threat to your estate and my state, your estate as well, mm-hmm. long-term care, or the rising cost of health care. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Thanks for letting me share that, Mr. Griggs.
1: You're welcome. I don't <laughs> think anybody could have stopped you if they wanted to. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, but there, so all riders have costs right
1: yes and there's one other cost i want to mention too as you were going through that very eloquently well put um monologue there (laughs) there's one other cost that
0: i appreciate your kind words there's one
1: other cost that people could incur too if they work with a particular kind of company and that is the loss on the dividend if you've got a direct recognition company and you've got a policy loan outstanding year to year um so a cost that's avoidable you work with a non-direct recognition company but a cost that you will incur if you do business with a direct recognition company and if you use your policy if you have an outstanding policy loan year to year those direct recognition companies will well that reserve the right to either reduce or eliminate
0: reserve the right no they probably would never execute that right right (laughs) (laughs) well you know let let, me let me let me share this (laughs) so um, and I think we've talked about this, uh, um, some company, no, there's not a single life insurance company on the planet that likes first-year loans, mm-hmm. right? And it, it kind of gets, it's related to the cost of life insurance company from the life insurer, from the life insurer standpoint, right? It costs them money to put these policies in force. And I know nobody's losing any sleep, you know, feeling sorry for the life insurance companies. I'm not. <coughs> um There are some direct recognition companies out there, and this has been practiced for years and years and years and years. Um, A direct recognition company, they typically have higher fixed rate loans than a non-direct recognition company. And yes, none of the companies like first year loans. Some of them won't even allow first year loans. So uh, the, the simple way around that is well, I can just take the policy down to the bank and collateralize that policy using the the bank, right? Mm-hmm. And so my choice is either I go pay eight or nine percent for a loan and receive a reduced dividend, or I just take it down to the bank and borrow their money at three, four, or five percent, right? So yeah, you can do that, and that's a way around. Uh, a direct recognition company dinging you on the dividend to access the capital. And so can you do that? Yeah, and I've listened, not, not listened, I've heard of several, uh, you know, commentaries, presentations about how, oh, it doesn't matter if it's direct recognition or non-direct recognition. You know, here's an example to mm-hmm. go down to the bank. You know, I've personally done that. And I, and I did it specifically with a company that doesn't like first-year loans right? And I did it to prove a point,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? So I'm like, oh, I'm going to create this module. And I had a big lengthy conversations with Nelson while while he was with us. I mean, I did this several years ago. Um, and once you get through that, and I'm thinking I'm doing the right thing, you know, I'm going to be able to educate my banker. I'm going to be able to, you know, create a module and show Jumped that there are all those hoops. Oh my gosh. And looking back, why would I ever, mm. ever Take the best asset that I've ever owned and expose it to a third-party lender as collateral. Well, uh, there's no good reason. The creating the module <laughs> wasn't a good enough reason, you know. Educating the young banker wasn't a good enough reason, but I did it anyway. And and really, the kicker was, um, I had other policies. You know, I maintained control, right. and I could.
1: Pay it off if you needed to,
0: send the banker packing. Mm-hmm. You know. Anyway, so my point is, yeah, you can avoid that because there are several ways to do things. Right, um, like working with a non-direct recognition company. <laughs> well, now listen, if I'm an agent and 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 you know, uh, we know that we have a lot of agents and yes. advisors that are subscribing. Hello. And you guys are the ones that are disliking our videos and so stop it. All right. And and don't need lengthy commentaries on what you do with your clients. We assume angelic intentions and you're doing the best for yourself and your clients. Okay, I mean it's all peace, love and love, peace and chicken grease. Yeah. Love, peace and chicken grease. Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> uh
1: Uh, Direct recognition poses costs that it might be good to avoid, I think is the other, is the end. Yeah,
0: but should that be the, I mean, that's not the only determining factor. No, you can bank
1: with anything. You can bank with a policy from a company that practices
0: Mm -hmm. direct recognition and all Farm equipment, margin account, CD, mattress money. You know, one thing I do want to say
1: is that when we get the fee question, I think what people really have in mind is, you know, is this going to leave me worse off no i, I think i don't
0: want you to get paid well,
1: <laughs> well that I, that could be part of it but assuming angelic intentions i really think that people why do we care about cost why do people raise the question oh what's this cost what are the fees well you know if something costs say 50 grand but it's going to pay you 75 well are the costs high No, I mean, it's compared to what, right? So what people really care about, I think, when we get this question, is they're saying they've done some homework. The people asking these questions have done some homework. They've read the book. They've gone online. They've listened to a podcast, whatever it is. They want confirmation, validation that this isn't going to – that IBC isn't going to leave them worse off than when they started. Sure. And so I like to point out to people that – as Nelson did in becoming your own banker, if you practice infinite banking, uh, you exercise your authority in that contract the way it states you can, you're going to end up on net receiving more. Nelson called it your net or cumulative net outlay, right? How much you could receive from the company uh, above and beyond what you pay in, many, many more times, orders of magnitude over what you pay in. Sure. Right? So. Are there costs? Yes, we've named them: PUA expense charge, premium on the term, policy loan requires interest, direct recognition could hurt you on the dividend, right? The there's, policy fee. Yeah, there's there's costs, right? No question, there's costs, but. Over time, look, you're going to hit a cash on cash year. You're going to hit a year when your cash value equals or exceeds the premium you've paid in since day one. And then after that year happens, for every year after that, so long as you continue to pay the premium appropriately, the cash value is going to increase and start to break away from that cumulative premium.
0: Yeah, let's let's talk about that for a minute. And I and I think too. I mean, I want to agree with you. I think that, and I'm not even assuming. I guess I am assuming angelic intentions. I think people. I mean, we all want to be good stewards of our money and Mm -hmm. everything else that we have the responsibility to manage. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to be good stewards. We don't want to overpay for anything, but we want good value, right? right? We don't want to over, nobody wants to overpay for anything. I think that, you know, these questions of what does it cost? What are they in getting clarity? I think that's completely legitimate, Mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's almost a responsibility from the due diligence. Um, I remember Nelson saying many times, whether you agree, disagree, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, if I have a total cumulative premium and I compare it to a total cumulative cash value, just like you said, there's gonna be some point in time in the future where they're equal, and then the cumulative cash value exceeds exponentially. It's gonna run away from your cumulative premium. The cumulative premium let's just go to that point. And I don't care if it's in year five, year seven. I mean, I have policies today, 15 years later that I'm barely cash on cash, cumulative premium, cumulative cash value. Right. And we're just looking at an illustration. You have no idea. And I cannot put on that illustration what that capital produced over that 15 year time period. Through real estate, dental, mm. medical, automobiles, vacations, um, and yes, there's a great value in vacations. My opinion, mm. okay. <laughs> um, and some of the, I mean, that's a return that you can you can you can quantify. Yep. take your children to Europe and expand their horizon mm-hmm. for the rest of their life. They have memories. What is that worth? Uh, unbelievable. Yeah. Okay, um, what was the cost of the death benefit? In that year, the, the cumulative premium is outclipsed or even equal to the cumulative cash value. And you pick a year that it happens. I don't care what it cost me. It, it is compared to what? Mm-hmm. What was the opportunity? What could you have done different? Mm-hmm. You know, looking at that life insurance illustration, it's like there is no cost. Well, that's not legitimate either because I might have done something different. Mm-hmm.
1: I see what you're saying. So you're going to reach a point where you'll have an asset. Every time you pay into it, it's going to produce more in value than you pay in, right? And so there's a sense which, and that there's a sense in which that is costless. If it were not for the perfect, and I'm not saying it genuinely is. So those analytical engineer types listening to this you know, don't send me hateful emails. But
0: They'll be uh, long if they uh, do. <laughs> <laughs> Two-page email.
1: There's a genuine sense where there is an actual opportunity cost, and there is, no question. But it's also the case that when when you do get to that point that you're, where your cash value has grown beyond, or even we get to a point where we call the cash flow year that happens earlier, that's when your annual increase in cash value exceeds the premium you pay in. Right? And that's going to happen earlier than your cash on cashier. So there's a sense in which after, whatever, five to eight years, you're paying into a policy, you're going to make a premium payment, and then by the end of the year, you see an increase in the cash value in excess of what you paid in. Yeah. Well, so then. your cost in that case, this is where we're, we can really isolate it. Your cost in that case is this temporary illiquidity. It's that length of time from when you started the policy to, to when – the policy starts the cash flow or when you hit your cash on cashier, whichever one you care about, there's a sense in which the temporary illiquidity that you have up to that point is a cost.
0: But that's no question about that. And then you can even isolate that temporary loss of liquidity because yeah. that's what it is. If I paid $100,000 in premium today and I only have access to 70, 80%, whatever it is, it could be 50%. Mm-hmm. Um, I can isolate that. Let's say it's... it's uh I paid $100,000 in premium. I have access to $70,000. So I can isolate that $30,000, right? And I can I can assume an internal rate of return. I mean, we can all do math and run <laughs> calculators, right? Yeah. And and I can say, well, if I put this to work in the real estate, and I'm going to earn 20% year over year over year and drag that out forever, which is not uh, likely to happen. But when you talk to the real estate investor, hell, he's not going to do a deal unless it pays 20%. Yeah. He's not going to tell you about the deal, the syndicated, you know... Uh, apartment deal that w- remained liquid for six years and it looks like it's going to be liquid for another two years. Oh, and the city shows up and says they got to do this remodel and that remodel and this remodel and that remodel. And then, uh, then the city uh, who's the guy that comes around with all the permits? The inspector comes around because he's a brand new inspector and then changes everything that the first inspector required. Yeah. <laughs> like someone's had some <laughs> bad experiences. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and I find often, uh, and it's true, um uh, the real estate investor they never or rarely ever i don't want to use the word never they rarely value their own time mm-hmm. in that cost mm-hmm. okay <clears throat> but my my uh my point is that we can all do math and if i have a temporary loss of liquidity for a time period I can do inputs with calculators, so can, we can all do this and calculate what that might have returned. Mm. Well, that, that's the same exercise that you're going to use if I'm going to be investing in turnkey real estate um, and I put $100,000 in premium the first year and I take $70,000 in a loan and I put that to work in turnkey real estate. We're doing the same exercise. We're going to assume a rate of return and we're going to assume a time period. You know what I mean? Mm. I mean, it's just all math. Math is math is math. Uh, I mean I hope that helped I mean I wanted so, to say it
1: so, <laughs> like I think the point is that the, that temporary liquidity is shouldn't be disqualifying it's that that's no the, question you know.
0: but when you get into the cost um, and, and which is what we're supposed to be talking about right cost mm-hmm. <clears throat> and we are talking about it okay <laughs> um that's just one cost that loss of liquidity for a time period yeah okay just like your time, effort, and energy as an investor, as an IBC policyholder, whatever deal it is you're doing outside of the policy, you've got to account for your time in that. Oh, wait, and the, mm. the CPA has to sign I off on it. I see what you're it, saying. Okay. The K-1s, you know, have to be provided, and you've got to spend your time, I see what cal- you know, coming up with two years of yeah. audited numbers. Um, all of that has a cost. So that tip, doesn't show up anywhere on here.
1: So typically when people, if they attempt to compare IBC style dividend paying whole life with some other asset, in this case an investment, something they often discount is the value of their time that's spent on the other No investment. question. Yeah, okay. And then they... I got
0: you. Right, and then, and, and, and then I'm just saying that when you're comparing asset to asset, there's all kinds of calculations that you can do. Mm-hmm. Right, and, and yeah. to to determine the cost, um, and I was just talking about the cost of liquidity, the loss of liquidity for a time period, mm-hmm. and then your time and effort as the investor, the entrepreneur, the business owner, the individual. How you, we all typically discount our time mm-hmm. in the deal, right? It's just another cost. Yeah. Is all I'm trying to point out, um, but. When the further out you go in all of these illustrations, right, or any investment pro forma or projection, the further out you go, the better the numbers look. No question about that. We're talking about going forward to a time point, in your example, as an annual cash flow basis, premium in, cash value increase in that one year. Mm -hmm. Typically happens in years three, four, or five right the total cumulative premium paid and the total cumulative cash value typically equal somewhere between seven eight nine or ten years right depending on the premium the age of the person what it is they're trying to do which really gets to the correct foundation or the correct basis to build policies from it's what are you trying to do yeah how old are you I would just, I
1: would just stress with it with anybody who's looking at those initial time periods, you know the going back to what I said earlier that I think what is at the back of people's minds when they're asking about cost is you know is this on net going to leave me better off. Yep. My encouragement is look over the entire time frame, right, which is your natural life, right. Don't stop at five. Don't stop at ten, fifteen, thirty. You know whatever the comparison with the other asset is, go all the way out. Right, account for all of the growth, all of the value that you'll receive by practicing the infinite banking concept over the course of your lifetime and then compare that to whatever sort of cost you might have. And I think you're going to find that the cash value, the, the access to capital the value of which is unknown right having the ability to draw from capital under your own ownership and control the access per se has a value that's not on that illustration right but just the just the value just its value the numerical amount itself will far and away exceed the amount you pay in over the time of over your entire lifetime and then of course up to that point over the you know from day one when you start a policy to however far out you want to look you also not only do you have the growth not only can you compare the growth in the cash value relative to say cumulative premium since day one you can, can you can do that but you also have the use of that money right you can borrow against it access a policy loan use it for what you're going to use it for anyway while still enjoying the compounding growth on a guaranteed basis tax deferred um, well uh, so I, I, I think if you do that <coughs> if someone takes that perspective they'll find that the benefits run away with the show it's like costs what so and that's why i think that most people who if they've done some research and if they've looked at for example the illustrations in part four equipment financing of becoming Mm -hmm. your own banker usually they're just asking this question to make sure they're not missing anything or they just want that validation of course there are the people who that's not the case they just That's one of the many questions that they have that they will continue to have. Well, what is their case? Who are these
0: these people you speak of and what is their case? (laughs) So I I think what I have found is, um, you know, the people that are focused solely on the loss of liquidity You know, they really never got past the word life insurance. Mm -hmm. They can't get past the cost of the death benefit, which, you know, this industry has terms like every other industry. When you say cost of insurance, you're specifically speaking of a universal life term, COI, cost of insurance. Now, and I understand these terms bleed over. um, Whenever you're looking at the infinite banking concept, you cannot correctly say that the cost of the insurance is in the base portion of the premium. So, therefore, I want to—I don't want a death benefit. I do not want to pay for insurance, i.e., the death benefit. I want the cost of the insurance as low as possible. So, if I'm going to pay $100,000 in premium, I want only $5,000 to go to the cost of the insurance, mm. and I want access to the $95,000 mm. in cash value. I mean, so my my point being is you look at whole life insurance, j- typical whole life insurance with no additional PUA rider other than the dividend to be paid into. <clears throat> even those things break even in 14, 15, 17 or 18 years, which I understand nobody wants to put their money out for 18 years unless they're doing an IRA or 401k or real estate. Right? I get it. Um Okay, so the premise to start from, the basis in which we, you know, we if we do the vetting, we go over, consider all of the cost, and I think you're bringing up very good points. I think we're bringing up very good points. There are cost associated with everything you do in the yep. financial world. Right, and they're not all going to show up on your bank statement, or right. your investment statement, or your life insurance illustration, or the annual report, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Um, but the the opportunity cost exists. A lot of people talk about that. The commissions are they're they're an expense to the company. The consumer pays for everything. It's just a distribution cost. To the life insurance company they're either going to use captive agents which means the captive agent can only write for that one company or they're going to use independent agencies or agents and the independent agent can represent many companies or they're going to go to the bank right and, and use the bank distribution system or the brokerage house you know it's just a Cost of distributing the distributing the, <laughs> the, the life insurance company's products, mm-hmm. right? It's all the same if, if you if you think about that. Um, and, and two, there's a reason that there is no cash value in the first two years, or very little cash value in the first two years of all whole life insurance, because the company actuarially weights all of their costs into the first two years Mm -hmm. and then they amortize the rest or the remaining of that cost over the next 12 to 14 years yeah that's
1: that's important part to point out too is that the the heaviest part of the cost structure is in the initial years of a new dividend paying whole life policy both those built for infinite banking and those without right so the that that's I, i tell people look if you Pay two premium and then graduate early. Life insurance companies receive two premium. They got to pay a substantial death benefit. That leaves the life insurance company in a hole. That's a cost. There's a risk to that, and the consumer pays to compensate Absolutely. for that risk. And the
0: life insurance company does not want to pay the death benefit anytime right. soon. That's why you have to go through underwriting. Yeah.
1: So it, right. if you, for no, if for whatever reason you started multiple policies when you could have just started one. Mm-hmm. Well then, even though you're paying out the same amount of dollars in the form of premium, you're still going. You're going to incur greater cost r- relative to how you just put that money into one policy, right? Um, so this gets. We've mentioned the stacking or laddering in the past, where you.
0: Yeah, and we should we should probably do another podcast on stacking, laddering, velocity, you know, accelerating, leveraging, financing, life insurance policies. <laughs> um, So that cost that's weighted in the first two years, whenever, with all permanent life insurance, right, there is a loss of liquidity in the first two years, and that's where it comes from. That's why it exists, because the companies have weighted their cost in the first two years. Wonder why. Most people probably don't keep their life insurance their whole lifetime. Mm -hmm. They've got to wait it up front in case you get mad and change your mind in the fifth year or the sixth Mm -hmm. year. You know what I mean? It's like, And those are the kind of companies, speaking of mutual companies, which is, I mean, we talk about all kinds of companies, but we use mutual companies with the infinite banking concept. I mean, that's the kind of company I want to be part ownership in. Conservative. They think long term. They've been around long term. They yeah. pay dividends long term. That's financially astute for the life insurance company to wait the cost in the first two years. Right. Yeah. I'm okay with that.
1: Me too. All right, I covered everything I wanted to say. You got anything, Dad?
0: Yeah, let me hear. It. Let me let me look over my list here. We covered the startup cost, which Nelson, you know, conveyed this loss of liquidity for a time period as a startup cost. You go into any yeah. business, there's a startup cost, and most businesses don't show a profit for seven years. And you know, just because I go into business, if it costs me two hundred thousand dollars to go into business, or twenty thousand, or whatever it is, I'll pick a number. 20,000 cost me 20,000 to go in business, and I generate ten thousand dollars in revenue that year. It is not a profit, that's correct. (laughs) It well, I mean, I'm saying that on purpose, right? right? It is not a profit, okay? So, there is a startup cost that's the way Nelson conveyed it. And don't be afraid to capitalize, don't be and think long range. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I I have so much more to say. are there fees yes are there commissions yes now um and you don't i don't want you to work for free i don't want you to work for free and if you want me to work for free we probably can't work together right i'm just saying absolutely um that probably should come out i don't want to convey that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well i just won't work for free yeah neither will you neither will anyone else okay I mean, I could summarize all of this one more time, but I won't. Okay. Good. <laughs> You're like, okay, good, off. Awesome. <laughs> all right. Okay. I had fun. Hope you did too. Hope you found it beneficial and uh, come back and join us next week. Thank you for joining us on the Banking with Life podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe. Otherwise, find us wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to join us weekly.